Oh, hey. I learned something this morning. Um, when, um, when you don't do responsive readings every week, that's a hard muscle to fake like you have. Responsive readings are difficult. No one else? Just me? Okay, good. <laughs> I mean, it was really good. It's just, I don't know how you're going to read. Okay, anyway, I guess I, there's like three of us that understood that. <clears throat> well, good morning. I'm glad to be back with you again. Um, and if right now you're thinking, well, again, last time I was here, Nate, you were here. Well, it was five months ago that I was here. So if that's you, you should really come to worship a little more often. You're invited. Uh, and if community church isn't a great place for you, we're going to have a place on the north side starting next week. Gospel Community Church. Come check us out. Good to be back with you. Five months of business meetings and preview services and prayer services, um, infant baptism, profession of faith, remembering our baptism. It's been a full five months. God is good. God is good. And being here with you today um, brings with it some unique emotions. <clears throat> so instead of dealing with those, let's just get right into the scripture, shall we? <laughs> we'll just move right through them like a typical West Michigander. <clears throat> this morning we'll be in Genesis. You thought I was... No, we're actually going to move right through those. <clears throat> today we're going to be in Genesis 40. Genesis 40, looking at... The life of Joseph, continuing our series, Life and Times. Looking at these moments of Joseph's life and the intricacies of God's timing. As you may remember, uh, Joseph's life started out pretty decent. Large family, many brothers. In fact, uh, of all of his brothers, he was his father Jacob's favorite. He receives a beautiful robe from his father. His life is the stuff musicals are made of. Joseph's got it pretty good. But things turn pretty quickly. And his brother's jealousy turns into hatred. They plan to murder Joseph. And they settle for selling him into slavery in a faraway land only to, to later um, have himself imprisoned, Joseph being, uh, imprisoned after being falsely accused by the wife of the captain of the guard. This is Joseph's life, and it's God's time. So we pick up our reading in Genesis 40. Sometime later, Joseph's been in prison for a while. He wasn't just imprisoned after the little snafu with Potiphar's wife. Some time later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended to them. Now, after they had been in custody for some time, more time. See what's going on here? More time. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. 
When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there's no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. And he said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine, there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I put the cup in his hand. Well, this is what that means, Joseph said to them. The three branches are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will be and, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. <clears throat> but, but when all goes well with you, remember me and, and, and show me kindness. Mention, to, mention me to Pharaoh and, and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. But when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given such a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. And on my head, there were three baskets of bread. And in the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Well, this is what that means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was the Pharaoh's birthday. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and in the presence of officials, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. What an encouraging word. <laughs> let's, uh, let's walk through that story one more time, shall we? Let's look into it a little deeper. It's some time later. Joseph's been in prison for a while. Joseph, who's had this whirlwind of trouble, to say the least, right? He meets these two officials who have also been thrown into the prison that he currently calls home. The chief cupbearer, who is quite literally the one who, who carries the cup of the Pharaoh. He, he squeezes the, the fruit, making the juice for the Pharaoh to drink. In fact, he also is the one charged with taking the first drink from said cup to make sure that no one's trying to poison the Pharaoh. And then there's the baker, the chief baker, who has a title that we can understand. A little more common to us today. These are the officials that are now incarcerated. We don't know if there was an attempt on the Pharaoh's life. So maybe someone tried to poison him and he blamed these officials. Or if it was just a dry rye and a bitter wine that caused the Pharaoh to be offended. But the truth is that doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter why they're there. It doesn't matter how they got there. What matters is that they're there. They're in prison. Under the custody of of the captain of the guard, Potiphar, who we know pretty well from last week. They're in the same predicament that Joseph finds himself in. 
Now, sometime later, again, more time has passed. Sometime later, they both have a dream. On the same night, they both have a dream. The cupbearer and the baker have these dreams. And Joseph, who's proven once again that he's trustworthy and reliable, he, he's been charged with making sure that these tokens, or these tokens, these prisoners are fed. They're taken care of. So the next morning, presumably, as Joseph's making his rounds, he notices the cupbearer and the baker are downcast. They're depressed. They are um, <clears throat> long in the face. And he says to them, why are you so sad? This is a ridiculous question. Would you agree? They're in prison. The response could be, are you kidding me, Joseph? Pharaoh shunned us. We're in prison. You expect me to be full of glee? In fact, a better question would be, why are you so happy, Joseph? But no, they don't go that route. Instead, they... They share their dreams with him. Why do they share their dreams? Well, they said, hey, there's, there's, there's no one here to interpret our dreams. That's why we're sad. And Joseph says to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And that's what they do. Dreams of vines and branches, a basket of bread and birds. And Joseph hears from the Lord that the cupbearer's dream means that he will be restored to his position. Everything will return to normal for him in three days. Now, it's at this point that Joseph tries to take the situation into his own hands. Hey, you're going to be restored is what the Lord says. So, with that being said, how about you remember me when you get out? Go tell the Pharaoh. Put a good word in his ear. Let the Pharaoh know. That I'm just a Hebrew. I was taken out of my country, forcibly so. I'm not supposed to be here. And then I was enslaved. And, and then this whole thing that happened with, with Potiphar's wife. And I, mean, I was accused. I didn't do anything wrong. Let him know of my kindness. Be kind in return. Would you let the Pharaoh know that I shouldn't be in here? Well, the baker, he hears this favorable interpretation, right? That Joseph gives the cupbearer. And he wants to hear what his dream means, but his isn't so favorable. In fact, this interpretation ends with him losing his head and being impaled on a wooden pole in three days. Well, three days come and go. It's time for these dreams to come true. And it just so happens to be Pharaoh's birthday. So a feast is thrown for all his, all his officials, and he gathers all the, those who are important to him, having a birthday party of sorts. And just as Joseph had interpreted, the Pharaoh asks that the officials that were in prison come and join as well. And he ends up restoring the cupbearer to his original position. And he hanged the baker. And now hanging, to be hanged, was exactly what the interpretation said. It wasn't a noose. It was a beheading and then impalement on a pole. This was just what the interpretation had predicted. The dreams had come true. The cupbearer restored. Can you imagine how Joseph would have felt in this moment? He's been in the prison for so long. And then these other officials, these, these other officials, he wasn't an official, but these officials, uh, they join him in prison. Now he has 
people there with him. And he's charged with taking, taking care of them. And then some more time passes and they have this dream and he's able to interpret this dream for them. And then the dream comes to pass. And remember what he told the cupbearer? Hey, remember me. Go tell the Pharaoh. Put in a good word for me. Get me out of here. Can you imagine Joseph's feelings right now? The dream came true. This must be how God's going to rescue him. If he looks at the whole situation, he can connect the dots. This is God. Who else could organize this? Joseph is waiting anxiously and patiently for his name to be called, for him to be called out of this dungeon, for the cupbearer's message of Joseph's kindness to reach the Pharaoh. This has to be God's plan. This is the breakthrough that he's prayed for. His faithfulness is finally going to pay off, and a day passes, and his name isn't called. And a week passes, and his name isn't called. And then a month, and then six months, and a year, and 18 months, and Joseph is still in prison. No doubt that as time went on, he became disappointed and frustrated, right? Can you imagine? Because the cupbearer was only successful in forgetting about Joseph, leaving him right where the story began, alone and in prison. No breakthrough, not even a little bit. Nothing's changed, nothing. God had yet to save Joseph. If there was anyone who deserved a breakthrough in these scriptures, it's Joseph, right? I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. He was respectful. He was a godly man. He was a good man whose steps were ordered by the Lord. He was a praying man, a God-fearing man. But breakthrough didn't happen. He didn't see breakthrough. Now, yeah, you could argue that it wasn't, wasn't too wise for him to, to brag to his brothers. But it was still their sin, not his, that led him down this path. His situation wasn't resolved. Instead, he was forgotten. Genesis 40 begins. Joseph's in prison, entrusted with looking after other prisoners, really just free labor once again for the captain of the guard. Then we hear the story of a few new prisoners, and time passes, and one dies, and the other's restored. And then we hear the end of Genesis 40, where Joseph's in the same place, in prison, and nothing has changed. Where's the good news in this story? Where is the hope? Nay, I thought that everything in this book was the word of God. And I thought that it all pointed to Jesus. And I thought it was all about restoration. Why do we see Joseph in the same place at the end of Genesis 40 as we do at the beginning of Genesis 40? Nothing's changed. Nate, how does this story help me? If this is, if this is God's word and is living, this is a living word, how does that apply to my life? Where's the hope for me? How does that fix my situation? 
How does this help me when my breakthrough doesn't come through? What's good is, what good is Joseph's story when I've prayed my prayers just like him? I've worn out the, the carpet next to my bed, kneeling next to my bread, bed to pray. Just like I'm sure Joseph's cell looked. I'm pleading with God, but nothing changes. Just like Joseph was certainly pleading with God and nothing changed. I've done my best for the Lord. I live my life in kindness and love, and I'm still stuck in the muck and the mire that is my life. I can't seem to catch a break. How does this help me, Nate? Because my story begins and it ends in the same place and nothing changes. My situation, it begins and it ends in the same place and nothing changes. And the only thing that changes is after some time, I'm in the same place again. Some time passes and I'm in the same place still. Nothing ever changes. Nothing changes. The good news is this. When nothing changes, when pain doesn't just return, when pain never really leaves, the good news, when things don't seem to get any better and the season in your life just seems to go on your whole life, it's a season that is the expanse of your existence. The good news, when nothing changes, is that nothing changes. Nothing changes. Even though Joseph had endured a painful life, even though Joseph remains in prison, forgotten, he still had a dream left unfulfilled. He still had a dream that God was working on. Nothing changes. Yes, to delay in fulfilling this dream seems cruel, right? I mean, God just restored the cupbearer to the Pharaoh. Why can't God restore Joseph to, to his rightful place? Isn't that what he's deserved? He's faithful. He's kind. He's obedient. He's a godly man. Why isn't he getting what's deserved? Getting what he deserves. To delay in giving Joseph restoration seems cruel. Keeping Joseph in prison seems like something that an unloving God would do, right? It seems like, like God's indifferent and uncaring. But that's because when, we, when we're living in a situation, we can't see the full picture. The truth is, delays only ever happen from our perspective. God has never been late and he has never been early, ever. He's only ever been on time. Tim Keller, <coughs> a preacher, a pastor, and a theologian. Tim Keller once said this. He said, we can be sure that our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew all that God knows. When it seems like nothing's changed in your life, when it seems like nothing has changed in your situation, remember that nothing has changed. God is still on his throne. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You still have a path to God. His name is Jesus. He is the Christ. And Jesus' dream for humanity is restoration, which is not yet fulfilled. No, I am not saying that this is a where the enemy, what the enemy intends for evil, God intends for good passage. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that when you are in the evil, God is good. 
When you're in the evil, God is good. When nothing changes, nothing changes. John Calvin says this about Joseph's years in prison. Nothing is more improper than to prescribe the time from our perspective in which God shall help us. Since he purposely for a long season keeps his own people in anxious suspense that by this very experiment they may truly know what it is to trust him. It's easy to prescribe our own perspective to life, isn't it? It's easy to let our pain or our experience dictate how we see things happening. It's easy to take our experiences and our culture and our life and our pain and our hurt and our successes and connect the dots of our situation and say, this is obviously what's going on. This must be what God's doing. Only he could orchestrate this. Pain is a lens that doesn't ask permission before it places itself in your field of vision. Have you ever noticed that? When you have pain, when life hurts, and it does, we all know this. I don't need to give you an example of life's hurts because you not only have lived them, but we all are living them every day. When we have pain, it changes the way you see things, doesn't it? All of a sudden, you can't see anything but the pain. Or you can't see anything without looking through the pain. I mean, you know, when, you, when you're at the end of your bank account, you can't see the paycheck coming in two weeks. When you're at the end of a relationship and it's broken, you can't see the relationship that God has coming for you six months down the road. When you are in an argument with somebody that you love and it's an argument that's gone on for days, you can't see the resolution that's coming in the future. When you're stuck in your sin, it's really hard to see forgiveness. We as Christians sometimes have it where we get stuck and we can see the cross really well, but we miss the resurrection and the ascension. It's hard to see anything but the pain when you're living it. You know that they say that scripture proves scripture. That there's nothing new under the sun. And so if you want to know what's happening in here, let scripture prove itself. So here's what we have. Genesis 40. We have a story that begins in a prison with Joseph and it ends in a prison with Joseph. And there's some stuff that goes on in the middle, but nothing changes. Let's let scripture prove scripture this morning. Scripture is going to tell us what God has for us. And it happens in verse 8. And the cupbearer and the baker are feeling depressed and they're down. And why are they down? They're hurting. And we don't know what this all means. We can't connect the dots. There's no one to interpret what's going on. And Joseph says, but don't interpretations come from God? Let me ask you, who's interpreting your life? Who is interpreting your life? What is interpreting your life? Do you trust that even when things don't get better, even when nothing changes, that God knows better, that God is better, that nothing changes? Or are you living a life where pain interprets your life? Fear's a liar. Pain's a really bad thing to listen to. Maybe the choices of your children are determining your life, 
your interpretation. I must be a terrible parent because this free will that's been offered to my child reflects on me. That's a lie that I listen to all the time. I think that I'm a sweet parent because my kids are awesome. I'm not. I'm just as broken as everyone else. Do you trust that even when things don't get better, even when nothing changes, that God knows better, that he is better, and nothing changes? He doesn't leave you in your pain. This, I know that that could be easily misconstrued too, that God is leaving you in your pain, that he doesn't care about your pain. He is better, so ignore the pain. Focus on what happened at the cross, and, and, and your pain is nothing in comparison to the glory that is to come. No, that's not true either. God is in your pain with you. Before time began, before you were even thought of, before your great-great-great-grandparents even existed, Jesus chose his path. He chose the cross. He knew how this was all going to play out. And he said, I choose you. I choose your pain. I choose your hurt. I choose you. And I'm going to sit in your pain with you. Because I know better. And I'll restore you. God interpreted some dreams through Joseph, right? Let me wrap this up for us. God interpreted some dreams through Joseph. A basket of bread, which led to hanging on a tree. Wine squeezed from fresh grapes, which led to restoration. A basket of bread hanging on a tree. Bread, tree. Grapes, wine, poured out, leading to restoration. All in three days. That sounds like something, but I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> Malachi 3.6 says this. I am the Lord your God, and I do not Change. I am the Lord your God. I do not change. What does God not do? Okay, so I forgot we're at community. Ready? Try this again. I didn't mean that as a put down, it came off as a put down. Listen, I'm broken. We've been working really hard at gospel community about like interaction. So right now they're like, oh, he's going to say it again. We're going to try this again. Ready? What does God not do? Okay, that's pretty good. What does God not do? How about you turn to your neighbor and tell him that God doesn't change? Oh my gosh, and all of a sudden when we got to share the truth, we get a little hesitant, don't we? Turn to your neighbor and tell him that God does not change. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Nate was raised here, right? We don't do that here. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I am the Lord your God. I do not change. Period. Nothing has changed. Even when nothing changes, nothing has changed. Not for Joseph and not for us. And it won't. Ever. Praise God for that. Praise God. He will not change. Pray with me. (laughs) Father, um... I just want to thank you for all you are. 
And as we, as we gather here as a part of your body today, and we gather here to send and to celebrate and all these things, uh, it, it almost seems a little backwards that we are going to have your word tell us that you don't change, that, that pain is real and that it's coming. And, 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 and even if we're, we're really good people, it doesn't change anything because it's not about that. Even if we're godly like Joseph, even if we're kind like Joseph, even if we, we serve without, without hesitation and without any attitude and without any pushback, that doesn't change anything because it's not about us. It's always been about you. And you do not change no matter what. So when our interpretation gets all skewed, when, when, when our vision becomes blurry, when our, when our view of this technicolor dream coat becomes black and white fuzzy, remind us you don't change. When sending hurts, remind us you don't change. When expanding the gospel hurts, remind us you don't change. And remind us you haven't left us in our pain. You joined us in it at the cross. And Lord, when we think of the cross, don't let us forget the resurrection and ascension. Because then we've missed the whole picture. We pray these things in your name. Because it's the name above all names. It's the name that when spoken, the demons flee. Evil runs. Darkness hides. <laughs> and you don't change. Amen. Benediction on Ascending Sunday. You should stand. <laughs> stand to receive this, this blessing, this benediction, this truth for you, for us. It comes from Romans. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Wherever you are, Jamaica, Holland's North Side, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Have a good week.